1: Welcome to Amtower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with a frequent guest, Larry Allen of Allen Federal. Larry, welcome back.
0: Mark, Mark, thanks very much. It's great to be back.
1: Always great to have you, man. We're going to be talking about uh, uh, GSA, end of FY, some vehicles, uh, some stuff for small business. So let's... uh, Let's start on our current market conditions. And gee, do you think we've ever had a more contentious Congress?
0: <laughs> Certainly not in recent memory, Mark. I mean, people constantly have to go back to the 1800s to look at historical references. But you know, it's very contentious. Uh, we almost uh, shut down about a month ago or so when we had a debt ceiling issue. But you know, thankfully that was able to be compromised on, and now I foresee smooth sailing for federal contractors from now through the end of the fiscal year. Congress last year appropriated uh, a good amount of discretionary spending across all agencies for the current fiscal year. Everybody has their budget. Everybody should be focusing on what's going to be going into their pipeline. As we turn the corner into the fourth quarter, business is going to start to heat up. So that's all good stuff. Don't look too much past September 30th, though, Mark, because I think that we may wake up on October 1st and find that we might be in a government shutdown. I think that's, it's not a certainty, but it's more probable than not. And I think even when you do get an appropriations measure through, that there's likely to be some trimming in discretionary accounts for FY24. So that's all the more reason to get As much business in the pipeline and in the door this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the new FY is always iffy, and that was, you know, one of the reasons I asked. You know, have we had a more contentious Congress? Well, not since members of Congress were allowed to carry handguns on the uh, (laughs) on the floor back in the eighteen hundreds. So thank God they don't have them now, because who knows what would happen. But you know, the new FY iffy. You think it's a better than even chance that we may have a shutdown?
0: I do, Mark. I I think that we've got members of Congress that want the issue of a shutdown to galvanize their constituency more than they ultimately want a budget deal. Uh, Keep in mind, they also have an incentive to not get things done on time because per the budget ceiling agreement, if they don't get all the appropriations bills done on time, there's an automatic 1% sequester. There's that word again. Uh, for all FY24 spending bills. When they get in, it's a 1% across the board deal. Uh, And there are groups of people who might like to see that. So I think we're going to have some very contentious times between now and the start of the fiscal year. And again, I think you have to remember, everybody comes outside of Congress, comes at this issue, I think, figuring, well, they'll get a deal in everybody's interest to get a deal. That's not always the case from where the Congress people are looking at it. Sometimes they'd rather have the issue for an electoral purpose and then after they've exploited the issue get a deal.
1: So um, what does the 1% thing mean for contractors?
0: Well it means as it's written right now that uh, if Congress doesn't pass all the appropriations bills on time, then the, if there's a continuing resolution, the continuing resolution would be to cut 1% um, of, across the board of all discretionary spending. You know, Congress, Mark, has the power to undo that. This is something that Congress did. They agreed that you know we are going to do this. It was uh, allegedly, purportedly a device to encourage all the appropriations bills to be passed on time. But if there's a prospect of being able to reduce outlays, and this is the most expedient political way to do it, I can certainly see where that would take place, at least for a period of time. Uh, So how long? Don't know. I don't think anybody in, in Congress really knows Uh, Could Congress undo it before it happens? They could. I don't think they will. Uh, Could they get all the appropriations bills done on time? They could, but I don't think they will. Uh, So there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. As you said, there's always uncertainty going into a new FY, but I think this year that will be amplified.
1: Pretty scary times, my friend.
0: No way to run a government regardless of what your political persuasion is.
1: Point, point, well taken. So let's migrate to uh, to GSA for for a while, probably a little little longer than usual. Um, in your newsletter, uh, you highlighted uh, three issues for uh, contractors, uh, scheduled contractors, that they should be prepared for. What what prompted this, and what are those issues?
0: So, Mark here we're talking about audits and there are going to be a lot of audits coming up, particularly for GSA service contractors over the next couple of years. uh, It's just their time in the cycle where there are a lot of renewals coming up. But regardless, I think that uh, any scheduled contractor has to be prepared for three things that GSA auditors are looking at in particular right now. Uh, There's a new one on the list but it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. That's the so-called Section 889B uh, compliance requirement, the requirement that says you can't have any equipment from ZTE or Huawei, Hangzhou, or a number of other uh, companies on the bad list, uh, with strong ties to the Chinese government. And that mark, again, is you can't have that, Equipment in your enterprise anywhere—it's not just that you can't have it in any system that's supporting a government contract. And the rule requires contractors to do a, a review, a credible review, to look and see what they have. What I'm hearing back is that uh, federal uh, company CIOs are actually being asked to provide data on the credible review they did. When was it? How deep did they go? What were the results? So Section 89B compliance is an audit thing that people have to be aware of. Uh, Labor qualifications definitely are another area where companies- Let's stay with uh,
1: 889B. So what I hear you saying is this is a a self-audit that uh, the companies are doing, and then they're presenting the results to GSA, correct?
0: Right. You have to certify as a contractor, whether you're a schedule contractor or pretty much any other type of contractor, that your Section 889 be compliant. And the way you certify is you have to do a credible review of, uh, and the specific word mark is reasonable inquiry, a reasonable inquiry on whether or not you have any of these covered systems in your company. And what the auditors are asking for is evidence that you've conducted that reasonable inquiry and when you did it and how deep did it go, things of that nature.
1: Okay, so GSA is not providing a detailed uh, list of criteria, but a sort of a general list.
0: Well, the list of uh, negative companies. companies, right, right, it, I mean, it's it's maintained uh, by the Far Council. Uh, basically, it's you know, the the usual suspects: Huawei, ZTE, Hangzhou, and any other Chinese company that has a influence from the Chinese government. So uh, you can't. Not only can you not sell those things to the government, you're not allowed to have them as a major component in any of your business enterprises, regardless of whether they are federal or commercial in nature.
1: Cool. That that, uh, would be easy for very small companies, not so easy for larger companies, yes?
0: That's correct. And I've talked to a number of my clients about this. They have performed reasonable inquiries. Some have gotten a clean bill of health. Others have found some things that they've needed to change here and there.
1: Okay. We're going to take a break and come back and talk about some other uh, audit issues from GSA. You're listening to Amtower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Larry Allen of Allen Federal. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Amtower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Larry Allen of Allen Federal. Find Larry at Allen. A-L-L-E-N, federal.com, all one word. Uh, part of the information I, I'm asking Larry about comes from his uh, his weekly newsletter, The Week Ahead. So I, when you go to his site, subscribe. It's, it's worth it. It comes out Mondays. It'll take you all of four minutes to read. Um, and, and we're talking about some of this stuff right now. Larry, uh, item number two from your uh, three audit issues to uh, to be aware of.
0: Item number two, Mark, is uh, for services contractors, and that is the GSA Inspector General is asking for cost buildup information in order for companies to validate the rates they're offering on schedule. That's a big showstopper in the schedules program, Mark, because. Schedule pricing, 99.9% of the time is all price-based. And there's a big difference, as you know, in government contracting between price-based contracts and cost-based contracts. And the schedules program is price-based. Commercial companies, companies that sell services to the government, some have a capability to do a cost buildup because they have other types of contracts outside of their schedule, but some don't. But regardless of whether or not the company has the capability, asking for cost price data to support a price-based contract, Mark, that really isn't even apples and oranges. It's more like, you know, apples and, you know, Chevy Impalas. Uh, It's just, you know, not something that computes. And, you know, I think it's something that companies ought to resist and talk with, credible consultants and or outside counsel about to make sure that, you know, you were working with the auditor, but you don't necessarily have to give the auditor everything he
1: or she asks for. Okay. So once again, GSA is probing deep, but your, your required responses don't necessarily have to open the kimono too wide. That's correct. Okay. You have uh, one other uh, labor-related issue here.
0: That's right, Mark, and this is an oldie but a goodie, and it's one thing that contractors need to be aware of, and that's labor rate qualifications. This is something I've talked to companies about for years, and yet we still see it as an issue. Companies that try to be very good corporate citizens about defining their labor rates in terms of uh, education and experience and things that go into justifying that labor rate. Often I find that companies provide more information than they need to and end up unwittingly getting themselves caught in a corner. And what I mean by that is sometimes people put in requirements to say this candidate has a four year undergraduate degree and two years of postgraduate degrees. It, it, it has a postgraduate Degree as well, plus experience. And then you get somebody, we'll name him Jim. Jim's a great guy. He's an ace in the field. Jim has 20 years of experience. Everybody knows Jim, but Jim doesn't have that master's degree, Mark. And when you start charging Jim at the labor rate that says right there in the contract, it's got to be experience with a master's degree, that's the type of thing the auditor is coming after. Uh, And even if you have a customer agency contracting officer that says, well, I want Jim and I'm willing to pay for him anyway at that rate, the GSA auditor is coming back and saying, no, no, the contract level terms are what control here, not the task order terms. And the contract terms say education plus experience. So that's something that contractors really are going to have to look at as always. I think when you're writing your labor uh, rate uh, descriptions, you want to provide yourself with as much flexibility as possible uh, and that you know it gives the auditor one less thing to look at
1: okay um, and and this this still pops up on a regular basis.
0: It does, and I think we're particularly now, when we know that over the next 24 months, there will probably be over 50 to 75 audits, specifically of professional service scheduled contract holders, mark. Uh, and then outside of the audits, this will now, because of the audits, become an area of review for every contracting officer. This is an area that companies should really anticipate being scrutinized and clean up the verbiage as they find necessary.
1: Okay. The The reason I ask that is I, I know we've talked about this on and off for several years. So that's right. Yeah. Recurring issue. So, uh, yeah, Larry, Larry's one of my earliest guests. And by the way, the, uh, audit issues that he's, uh, he's referencing here uh, are in his newsletter and he consults in these areas. Um, I didn't ask you to tell people what Allen federal was involved in. So give a brief synopsis and we'll move on to the next question.
0: Mark, I appreciate the opportunity. Allen federal does a couple of main things for our clients. One is we are trying to be very good resource for contract compliance I believe that contract compliance is pennies on the dollar. So we'd like to keep you out of the compliance ditch if we can. Although we're perfectly happy to help people get out of the ditch after they've driven into it, it's just more expensive that way. Uh, The other thing that Allen Federal does is we provide strategic insights into the government market, strategic advice. We're not going to be an augmentation of your sales force. We do not do the excellent type of work in marketing that Mark Amtower does. But what we do is that strategic planning, the strategic business development that can help a company, whether it's newer in the market or maybe its business is stalled out.
1: Cool. All right. So we have a few more GSA issues to discuss. And one of them actually is pretty damn cool Oasis, the RFP is out, it's on the street.
0: It is, Mark. This is great news. This is the OASIS Plus RFP, the follow-on for GSA's very popular OASIS program. Uh, GSA kind of surprised industry because they sent all six RFPs out. There's the main unrestricted RFP, and then there are five for very, various socioeconomic categories. Uh, And I had uh, understood, I think a lot of people understood that GSA was going to stagger the release, but they all came out at the same time. And if you're a services contractor, this is something that you should have been tracking for the last couple of years. Uh, But, you know, now it's real. Now you have between now and about 60 days from now, approximately, to get your offers in. Uh, This is going to be a major uh, contract. GSA has significantly expanded the scope of the oasis plus contract uh the oasis plus team i think has done a great job in not only working with industry but in reaching out to government agencies what do you like what do you not like what is it that you're looking for in a new contract vehicle uh oasis plus is a pretty big program mark and i hope that gsa has the resources dedicated to it and i think they do to make it uh, manageable, but, uh, you know, this is something that's a prime opportunity uh, for people. Keep in mind that this RFP that's out now does have contract level pricing requirements in them. I don't think they are as substantial as what you would find in a GSA schedule. Uh, For those who are really been following this area, you know that the idea was to not have contract-level pricing and for this contract or other uh, GSA IDIQs, but the Court of Federal Claims felt differently about that. So GSA had to go and add that in.
1: Cool. Um, yeah, o- OASIS has been a, uh, um, a success from, from the get-go. Um, we have not-so-good news on another GSA vehicle, it seems like Polaris died on the launching pad.
0: Mark, I'm really concerned about Polaris uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, as you point out, you know, it's, we haven't really heard anything about it. And just looking up before you and I got together today uh, on the Interact site, you know, as people may know, GSA re- um, maintains Interact sites to communicate with industry on various pr- programs. Uh, the Polaris sat site has not been updated since April 21st. Uh, that's a bad look. Um, and April 21st was about the time when the quarter federal claims ruled in favor of the protester protesting the Polaris Award. So the GSA, the quarter federal claims is quite explicit. As a GSA cannot proceed in evaluating offers and making awards under the current Uh, protocol. They have to go back and do it again. That's what the court said and doing it again primarily means contract level pricing uh, that has to be part of it. But there's also a portion where the court said you have to look at uh, how you score offers that come in from joint ventures and who gets credit for what and what is each uh, member of the joint venture A lot of this is mentor-protege work, Mark. What does each person, what does each company bring to that agreement? Uh, I've tried to talk to the GSA Polaris team a couple of times. I've urged them uh, to update the Interact site. It's been radio silent. Uh, The OASIS folks were able to get their new RFP out after this and incorporate the language that the court wanted. So I'm not sure exactly what all the holdup is in Polaris, but it doesn't look good. This is going to be GSA's major small business IT solutions contract. And remember that Polaris itself was a replacement for the ill-fated Alliant 2 small business contract, which also crashed and burned on the protest launching pad. Uh, I hope that's not the case here, but it doesn't look good. If I'm GSA, I have to look at my IDIQ portfolio mark, and I have to make a business decision on what resources I have and whether or not I have the resources or the market need to try again for another iteration of a small business IT, IDIQ contract, or do I decide that, hey, now, with Alliant3 coming up, there'll be opportunities for small businesses to play there, uh, I have 8A, I have vets, and I have the schedules. Uh, those might be deemed to be enough.
1: All right, we're going to take a break here. You're listening to Amtower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. Larry and I will return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Larry Allen of Allen Federal. You can find him at allenfederal.com, A-L-L-E-N, federal.com, all one word, Uh, Larry, let's uh, touch briefly on Alliant3. Mark, as
0: I mentioned in the last uh, section, the Alliant3 contract is going to be GSA's next large IT, IDIQ contract. Large in size. It's going to be for businesses of all uh, all sizes, but uh, large in scope. And the Alliant2 program has been phenomenally successful. Uh, It's running out of time and space, even though GSA is already – uh, lifted the cap at least once. So the Alliance 3 team does not have a lot of time to play with here. They are anticipating sending the RFP out the first quarter of the 2024 fiscal year. And I think that's good timing. So companies should be prepared uh, to respond Uh, You know, if you're wondering what you're going to do in the middle of October, well, if you're an IT contractor, you're going to be working on the Alliant 3 RFP. So uh, that one is going to have to wait and see what we get in terms of protests. There's not, GSA doesn't have have a lot of time to deal with protests here before they start bumping up against uh, Alliant 2 expiration time. So uh, I hope they'll be able to. To get it done, I'm a big supporter of this program. The Alliance Three team, uh, like their Polaris or their uh, Oasis Plus counterparts, have done a lot of the right things. They've been communicating with industry, uh, and this should continue to be a dynamic program if they can get it out the door.
1: Okay, then the uh, the next obvious thing for GSA are the schedules, which are still apparently open for business. <laughs>
0: Right. You know, the schedules program, Mark, doesn't get a lot of attention sometimes because it's perpetually open for new offers. So there's no real uh, newsworthy event uh, that comes around with the schedules opening and closing, having an on-ramp. Uh, and yet the schedules program keeps trucking away. Uh, GSA recently announced that they're working with the Small Business Administration to purposefully add an AA a section to the schedules program uh, that will make it easier for federal buyers to identify A-A companies through the schedule contract. So that's a great uh, feature, Mark. Uh, GSA schedule contract holders are already overwhelmingly small businesses. Uh, you can find a lot of solutions through the program. One of the things that GSA is starting to put uh, in the schedules, and as well as its other contracts, uh, putting out some more things on sustainability. Sustainability is a big issue for uh, the GSA management team, and it's permeating the entire agency in everything they do. And what that means is that government contractors, particularly those on schedule, should be looking out for the, uh, the implementation of new greenhouse gas rules when those are finalized. Uh, depending on your size, it's going to be reporting and or mitigation. Uh, there's going to be addressing sustainable supply chain language, uh, and already Mark GSA even before these uh, new rules are coming out and being incorporated, they've already started asking companies for their sustainability plans. Now, they say it's voluntary, uh, but I really think it's worth noting that it is voluntary as of today. Uh, if you're a scheduled contract holder, you don't have to have a sustainability plan right now. If you've got one, if you've got a corporate plan, you know GSA would like to see it. It's up to you as a business decision to submit that information. Right now, you do have some sustainability requirements in your scheduled contract, but they're mostly tied to things that you're already doing commercially. So, and making sure that you provide the government with information on where to find that information about your commercial sustainability efforts. Uh, but uh, this is a big issue.
1: Okay. Um, TikTok.
0: So, whether or not you're a GSA schedule contractor or any type of contractor, Mark, uh, because this new Tic Tac rule does impact contractors. It's a reasonably new interim rule, which means it's now effective. And contracting officers throughout the government have been directed to start incorporating it in new contract actions, but also to add it in as a modification to existing contracts, and basically what this rule says is that if you have a contractor's uh, device that is used to support a government contract, that device can't have TikTok on it. What well, you think? Who puts TikTok? Who puts TikTok on you know companies' uh, cell phone? Well, Mark, it's not just companies' cell phone. This rule specifically calls out employees' own cell phones. So any type of employee cell phone that can arguably be used in support of a government contract would have to have TikTok taken off of it uh, if that is used to uh, help a government agency out. So this is going to require, I think, a lot of review from companies. There's not a lot of guidance out here about what constitutes supporting a government contract. Some people are reading the language very narrowly, saying personal devices that are part of an employer's bring-your-own-device campaign. I'm not sure that I would read a whole lot into your your bring-your-own-device campaign. I think that was a reference point. I think what they're really interested in the government is getting TikTok off of the phones that are used by contractors uh, that support government contracts. I suspect more guidance will come out maybe the beginning of next year when we get a final rule out. But until then, uh, this is something that all companies should be reviewing. And when your contract gets modified or when you get a new contract award, you definitely want to look for this FAR clause and understand what it requires of you.
1: Okay. Uh, one other issue before we uh, we break. Uh, before we were recording, you mentioned that there were a couple of new things about soup.
0: Well, Mark, the, the very popular NASA soup program is now uh, putting together Soup 7. And I think the big news for Soup 7 is that it's going to broaden the scope out. Traditionally, soup has been a great place for IT products with services being ancillary to the products being sold. But now NASA is contemplating going broader into the service area, kind of directly taking on the GSA Schedules Program uh, and as well as a And we'll have to see where it goes. But right now, I think, you know, I think it's probably been frustrating for contractors who've wanted to put services on soup, but they haven't been allowed to. Now they might be able to, at least to some extent. So if you're a IT contractor and you've been looking at soup and you're thinking, well, you know, I really sell, uh, sell solutions, not just products off the shelf. Now, soup seven could be something for you to look at. Uh, As we know, Mark soup is phenomenally popular. Every federal agency buys from it. So this would be a a real departure and something that could potentially become a major uh, acquisition method for uh, IT services.
1: Well, it would certainly bump up their numbers, too. (laughs) Bump up their numbers and also, you know, management issues.
0: I mean, one of the reasons they've resisted it in NASA so far is they don't have a big soup management team. And when you get into the services, you absolutely need to have some people who can uh, oversee it and who know what they're looking at. So maybe they've got, uh, maybe they've got some assets up their sleeve that we don't know about.
1: I guess uh, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Tower off center on the federal news network. Larry and I will return and wrap up right after this. Welcome back to AmTower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Larry Allen of Allen Federal. Uh, Larry, we have the uh, the end of FY uh, coming up, the fourth quarter busy season, feeding frenzy, whatever you want to call it. But it it's always uh, you know a question for contractors. What do what do we do now? Some some contractors are quite savvy here. Others still uh, think, you know, different things. So what should companies be gearing up for particularly uh, this year, this very strange year?
0: <laughs> it's a strange year indeed. But Mark, what I'm telling companies this year is an A for effort can equal an S for sales. And what I mean by that is that if you're in the government market and you want to get the most out of the fourth quarter or any other quarter for that matter. You really have to be in this market with both feet. You have to make sure that uh, you don't just have the best mousetrap. You have to make sure that federal agencies know about your mousetrap. They know about you as a federal contractor. Maybe your company has a really strong commercial market presence, but uh, it has been maybe at the periphery of the federal market, or maybe has just jumped in in the last couple of years. You can assume that that commercial uh, reputation follows you into the federal market. You have to establish your own reputation in the federal market. That takes presence. That takes relationship building. These are some of the things I'm talking to people about, Mark, and they seem kind of obvious, especially to people like you and I who've been doing this for a while. But there's a reason, isn't it? There's a reason we talk about it, and that's because not every company gets the memo. (laughs) You still see people who want to succeed in the government market and expect to succeed and then are bewildered when they don't succeed after they have maybe had one foot in the market and one foot out. Not everybody has... Plenty of cash around to put together for marketing or other campaigns, but you—if you're going to be successful in this market or any other market—you have to be able to focus.
1: I I I couldn't agree more. I mean this this is where I play ninety nine percent of the time, except when I'm writing or doing interviews. Um, So in in your art in the article in the newsletter you say even the best solutions can have trouble getting attention in the crowded market where others are more readily uh, promoting their brands and presence via advertising sponsorships etc you know this <clears throat> this begs the question um there are 2.72 million feds on linkedin that i can find through 565 company pages for departments, agencies, operating divisions, and even offices. I added another one this morning for Army, bringing my total for Army up to 84 company pages for various operating units throughout the uh, the U.S. Army. Um, they're, they're on LinkedIn, um, and yet so many company profiles and subject matter experts, alleged subject matter expert profiles, don't highlight their areas of expertise uh, or, you know, even something basic like what contracts they're on. What, what are you seeing? Well,
0: that's exactly what I'm seeing. And you look at it and, and the number of websites that I've looked at, and I'm sure you've seen it too, of companies that do, at least in parts, federal business. You'd be hard-pressed to find the evidence of that. Uh, On the website, particularly the contract information and contract information may not seem to be part of your marketing message, but in the federal market, it certainly is because you want to make sure that your would-be customer knows the road to be on so that they can buy from you. That's what I call the, the how question. So you have to be telling people that, and if you're going to be doing business in the federal market and pursuing additional federal business, the best way to do that is to give that per- prospective customer a warm and fuzzy feeling that you actually aren't a first-time federal contractor, that you've actually been here before. Remember, this is a very risk-adverse government market. People tend to buy from the folks that they trust, uh, people that they may have bought from before, but even then, if they see your name sponsoring events if they see your name in uh in places where they expect to see it whether it's in a publication whether it's on a you know a news website you know whatever it is linkedin there are lots of ways and places to uh show your federal connections but it's not always the case that companies follow through with that so that's what i'm talking about now mark If you make the effort and you put your best feet forward, then you can anticipate some success. And the part that you referenced just a moment ago, look, your competitors are doing it. And if your competitors are doing it and you're not, the edge goes to your competitors. And I'm not here to spend all of my clients' money. Uh, I don't think I just don't think throwing money is always the answer to the problem. On the other hand, you have to make some sort of investment commensurate with what you expect to be successful with.
1: OK, let me let me ask a question that is not on our our list. <clears throat> Where do you vet contractors and how do you find guvies?
0: Uh, I look at LinkedIn. I really do. That's one of the first places I look. You know, when I'm doing market research for a client, Mark, um, I will do a couple of things. One is I'll go and look at uh, online databases that I subscribe to to find the names and people if I don't know who they are. But those online databases aren't always up to date. So the first thing I do before I provide contact information to a client is, I checked on LinkedIn to make sure that you know, Sue Smith at the USDA is still the director of the program that we're looking at, uh, because just uh, but just being in the database doesn't mean that that's the case. And then when you look at Sue Smith's LinkedIn biography, you can confirm it. She's still there, still active, but you can also find background information. Where did Sue go to school? Who does Sue know in common that you do? All icebreakers. Those are ways to make that initial outreach a little more personal and a little bit more successful because of that.
1: Oddly enough, or not oddly enough, there are more DOD and uniform services people on LinkedIn than in civilian agencies. So you know, it seems like everybody is there. I've never had a problem finding significant players, PMs contracting officers, you know, IT managers across the board from contractors and from government.
0: Right. And I, when you, and I don't, I find them as well, but the thing about it is, and you know this uh, as well, if you're going to message those people, you need to be as specific as possible because if Mark and Larry can find them. So can everybody else. So what is your message to them going to say? Not, hey, I'd really like to come talk to you about the solution I have. Because It could be something like, I saw the remarks that you made at a recent uh, government industry event. I, I thought you made some interesting points here. Here's how I think our people can help. Uh, you know, that type of specificity. I'm working with some people right now that... Uh, will absolutely screen out any folks who they think are pretenders and you have to be real and real with the message. Unfortunately, in this one case that I'm thinking about, I can, we've been able to do that, but that's the same thing. So when you find the people and they're there to find, make sure you're using a specific message that's going to get their attention.
1: Yeah. The, putting, putting a connection request in context is absolutely critical i agree larry thanks so much man this has been fun and we'll do it again soon hopefully uh we will not have a shutdown but if we do we're definitely doing a show dude
0: <laughs> mark it's great to be here i appreciate the opportunity
1: all right larry allen of allen federal allen a-l-l-e-n com. this is not my day job i advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government But as we've discussed just in the last few minutes, I focus on LinkedIn, social selling, and helping companies differentiate by building that subject matter expert thought leadership position in the market. If that resonates, drop me a line at markamtower at gmail.com or reach out to me on LinkedIn. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center.
0: You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.